Events like this are always a challenge. We have a whole lot of Luke, and I have to pick a small portion from which to preach. It's a hard decision to make at times, and uh, I guess the reason I chose it was a funeral I was at recently, a funeral for a co-laborer in Christ, and uh, our other brother who preached, preached from this text, and I thought that uh, that will work. That's the one that uh, I need to preach. We, of course, have uh, already walked through a lot of the events uh, the night that Jesus was betrayed, and think about that for a moment before we get to our text. Just think of the worst night that you ever experienced. And for some of you, I know you, and it's the night that the one that you love died, or something close to that. Think of Jesus, uh, what we've seen already. One of his best friends sells him for 30 pieces of silver, shows up with the police to have him arrested, though he's done nothing wrong. One of his three best friends in the whole world says, I don't know who he is. He's beaten and mocked. And that's just the beginning. We turn our attention now to Luke 23, 32 through 43. Sort of the, the climax of this part of Luke's gospel. Verse 32. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we, indeed, justly, For we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would help me to know nothing but Christ 
and Him crucified this evening. That You would help us all to grasp the reality that Jesus came to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Father, help me in particular, since there are three texts bouncing around in my head this evening for sermons this weekend. Help me to keep them all straight. Help me to preach with clarity, to preach succinctly. And may your Holy Spirit do work far, abundantly far beyond that which I say in the hearts of your people for the glory of your grace. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may not remember her name. You may have never heard her name. But her name was Kitty Genovese. And on March 13th, 1964, in New York City, she got off from work, drove home, arrived outside of her apartment at approximately 3.15 in the middle of the morning, and sometime between the, the hundred feet from, the, from her car to her apartment door, a man leapt out, stabbed her twice, upon which she cried out, startled her attacker who ran away, but nobody came. And so he returned to attack her again, and began to stab her once again. She cried out again. In fear, he fled, but there was no one to flee, because again, no one came. Finally, he went the third time and finished that which he had begun. Not just the city, but the entire nation was outraged at what happened. Not simply that a woman had been killed on the streets of New York City, because that was uh, fairly common, but the fact that no one responded to her cries. They even made a made-for-TV movie in 1975 called Death Scream, which I remember watching. This is not the only time this happened. It also happened to Ebony Garcia in August, on August 24th, 2008, where she, a victim of a domestic violence incident, was killed outside of her apartment, and no one responded to her screams. The innocent, so to speak, slain without anyone caring, As we think about what happened to Jesus upon the cross, there are some similarities that are there, and yet what Jesus experienced was, I would dare say, far worse than what these young women experienced. Theirs, unfortunately, was relatively purposeless. His was not. For Jesus was slain with sinners to save sinners. And that's the big idea this evening. Let us start. We have two points for brevity's sake this evening. Despite the mockery, he couldn't save himself and others too. 
Luke, as I mentioned, kind of brings us now to the place of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. This is the the culmination of his unjust death, the culmination of this, this charade of a trial. And unlike many of the movies that perhaps portray the uh, death of Jesus, like, for instance, Mel Gibson's The Passion, Luke here uses a very great economy of words. He does not describe what happens to Jesus. He merely says, they crucified him. But Luke goes to great pains to, in a sense, describe what happens going around, is going on around Jesus. He doesn't need to describe the crucifixion because his audience had probably seen one. They knew what took place, and I imagine that most of you who are over the age of 10 know what took place. And so we don't need to go over that in any great detail. Luke here is focusing, in part, upon fulfilled prophecy. We see he starts off with the fact that there were two others who were criminals that are led away and are crucified on either side of Jesus in fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah 53. We see a number of things taking place that are in fulfillment of Psalm 22. And one of the key things that is mentioned more explicitly is the fact that they divided his clothes. And so here we have Jesus who has been beaten, who has been betrayed, who has been denied, who has been lied about, is also stripped naked for the world to see, experiencing the shame, for none of us would want to be in those shoes, so to speak, exposed like we deserve to be exposed. There were no fig leaves, for modesty's sake, upon the cross. Now, just like the people of New York City, we see that the people in general watched. Many of them thought that this was an innocent man who was being killed by the Romans, a man who had been lied about and framed for something, and yet they do nothing. No one raises a hand in protest or to stop the action that takes place. That's not all. We see that there are three groups of people who are also there besides the people, the average person. And and the first group of people is the rulers. And Luke tells us that the rulers scoffed at him. They turned up their noses at him to insult him. If you were really the Christ, is what they're saying, you would be able to save yourself. And so they laugh. And so they jeer. And the words that we examined a few weeks ago are true from 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, we come to him, the living stone that was rejected by man, 
And fulfillment of the Scriptures would declare that the stone that the builders rejected, the builders here are the rulers, the ones who are supposed to know the Scriptures, who are supposed to understand who the Messiah really is, and instead, they're seeking to kill the Messiah. They wanted Him to prove that He was the Messiah by saving Himself but they thought it wouldn't happen. We see also the soldiers. They don't just go about their business, but also they mocked Him. They played with Jesus. They teased Jesus. Sort of like those commercials you see for Slim Jims now, messing with Sasquatch, where they play the joke on the poor Sasquatch who's a little dim-witted, but then he gets his revenge. And so here they are. Jesus is unable to respond in any way, shape, or form, unlike the Sasquatch. And they're, do you want some sour wine? And they're basically taunting him. And then with words, they begin to taunt him as well. I think our president would say they were, that the, sorry, wrong persons. Um, they're also talking about the fact that not he's the Messiah so much as they're looking at the, the written charges against him on the cross that he is king of the Jews. And said, if you're really king of the Jews, you could save yourself. Do you notice the theme that's starting to emerge? If you are who you say you are, if you are who they, who they say you are, then you, could, you should save yourself at this point in time. The third group is the criminals, the malefactors, or as the president would say, the bad hombres who are railing at him. They're hurling abuse. Another way of saying this is to blaspheme him. And again, it's save yourself. But with the one criminal in particular, it's so you can save me with you. Now, what are we to make of this that's going on here? We should understand that foolish people often reason foolishly. And because these men do not have the light of day, the light of dawn in their, in their hearts, they also are darkened in their understanding, and so they are ruling and reasoning foolishly because they don't understand that Scripture tells of a suffering Messiah, and this is the one. You see, the Messiah was not supposed to triumph first. The Messiah was supposed to triumph second. And so they don't understand the role and purpose of Messiah. They don't understand that to save them, He This precious Lamb of God without blemish is intended to spill His precious blood to ransom them. They completely miss what's going on. They completely miss the fact that if He saves Himself, He cannot save anybody else but that he must submit to the cruelty of the cross to redeem. 
And so we see that as a Savior, Jesus couldn't save Himself from death and save us from our sin. But there's good news here. We are to sincerely call on Christ that we too might join Him in paradise. You see, in the midst of all of this, all of this negativity and the the curses that are tossed at Jesus and the mockery that's going on, something happened. You see, the parallel accounts uh, tell us that the thieves... Okay, so now we know what the criminals did. They were thieves. Okay? But we also know that the thieves, plural, railed at Jesus. But at some point, something flipped for one of them. One of them suddenly was aware that things were not as everyone seemed to think. This one thief had a change of heart, and he ends up rebuking the man who was being crucified with him. It's interesting. What a fortunate soul this is. We'll see as we get to the end of this. He's fortunate because of all the times he could have been crucified, he is crucified at this particular time. And the man that is crucified next to him is the God-man who has come to save him. How fortunate is he? How fortunate are we because this same God-man has come to save sinners such as ourselves. But before we get to that, we recognize his confession. And there are elements to this confession that he makes. First off, he says to this other thief, we're receiving the due reward for our deeds. That man did nothing. That man is innocent. He also, he didn't know that that man was also righteous. Okay, so he doesn't know the whole story, but he knows enough to know that he and his cohort in crime are guilty and deserve exactly what they're experiencing, but Jesus is different. And he does not deserve it. These two thieves deserve this cruel death at the hands of the Roman government because of the numerous wicked deeds that they had committed and finally been prosecuted for. I think all he's trying to say is that Jesus was not a criminal like them. But of course, what the Spirit means is far more important, far more, there's far more depth to it. That not only is Jesus not a criminal, but Jesus never sinned. Period. End of sentence. He alone, amongst all these people who have been vocalizing anything, believes that Jesus is really the Messiah. Because he believes that Jesus has a kingdom that is coming. And so he petitions Jesus in faith. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. 
he recognizes that this is not going to be the end. He doesn't know how it's all going to fit together. He's a, he is a criminal who probably had a nominal, so we say, a nominal Jewish education. But somehow now, by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, something clicks in his brain and he knows that's the one I'm supposed to trust in, even though he's in the same place as me. Because Jesus must be in my place as a substitute. This is, in a sense, a very good description of saving faith that takes place on the part of this particular thief. The idea that I deserve to die for sin, but Jesus has stood in my place to receive the punishment. And so it's very interesting, as we, as we, if we ponder this, as we meditate upon this verse, that there are two thieves. They have the same criminal past. They have the same cruel sentence. They are experiencing the same painful circumstance. One is crying out in mockery, and the other is crying out in faith. Grace. Grace often finds us at the lowest point. It's the interesting thing about grace. It finds us when we've been broken by the thorns and the thistles. When we've been broken by the misery that our sin has produced. When we've been broken by the misery that others people sin, other people's sin against us has produced. But we recognize that not everyone repents. As many a commentator has said, the same sun that hardens the clay melts the wax. And so these circumstances for some are the gateway into life because they finally see who they are in the sight of God and cry out for mercy. But some just get angrier at God and harden their hearts. But it is God's providence, God's, God's sovereign mercy that brings this particular thief to this particular place so that he can find mercy from Jesus. I was listening to an interview, uh, part of an interview with um, former NFL quarterback Ryan Leaf. You may have heard of him, maybe not. He was the number two pick in the draft. He was taken by the San Diego Chargers, who no longer exist. But the, the main thing is, is that he didn't do well. He didn't last long in the NFL. And, uh, but what happened is he got addicted to painkillers while he was in the NFL. And so his addiction led him to break the law to try and get more Vicodin. And it wasn't until he was... Arrested, convicted, and put in prison. That he realized he had never thought about anyone but himself for his entire life. He had to go to prison 
in order to realize what a self-absorbed jerk he was. And many of us are just like that. Life has to fall out for us to realize just how messed up we really are. So that's what happened to this guy. I don't know if Ryan Leaf became a Christian, but I know that this particular thief embraced Jesus Christ and became a Christian. But we have to remember, or what we should take from this in part is, that your record of sin has the same source as this thief's record of sin. Okay, you may not have uh, committed a crime and and uh, Bruce Ferg has not been the prosecutor for your trial, but guess what? The same unbelief and the same pride that drove that thief and has put so many people in prison is what drives sin still. Every heart. Our unbelief in the goodness and the righteousness the kindness and love of God and our pride, our self-absorption drive our sins. And so we can say that even though you haven't sinned in the way this man has and your sins may not have been as grievous, they're still sins. And they're still sins that put you on a cross. For the wages of sin, or the wage of sin, is death. The punishment that he thought would never catch up with him finally did. And there are many today who still think punishment will never catch up with them, but it will. There's a flip side. Your record of sin is not so bad that Jesus is unable to save you. He saved a man upon a cross. He can save us as well. But we need to do what He did, which is to call out to Christ. I'm going to wax poetic, so to speak, by J.C. Ryle. I didn't come up with this, but I loved what he wrote. So I got three quotes from J.C. Ryle. He's good for the soul, I think, almost as good as Scripture. None are too wicked for him to care for. None are too far gone in sin for his almighty heart to take an interest about their souls. The vilest of sinners have no cause to be afraid of applying to a Savior like this. One thief was saved that no sinner may despair, but only one that no sinner may presume. So, You, are, you can never create a hole so deep for yourself that Jesus is unable to pull you out. Jesus promises this man 
that though he's unable to be baptized, though he's unable to do any good works in the, in the days to come, that he will have salvation today. Truly I say to you, today, this day, you shall be with me in paradise, Jesus tells this man. Paradise. That may conjure up all kinds of things to you. To me, it sort of has maybe a beach and no responsibility and lots of food and drink. I need to be purified of my understanding of paradise, I'm sure. Okay? It's a word that was borrowed from Persian. And it's a word that means garden. A lush garden. And I think there's a reason why Jesus uses a word for garden. Because, because the blood of Jesus has removed the angel with the flaming sword who guarded the tree of life in the garden. Access to God and to eternal life had been restored because Jesus was slain on the cross. And so this man, could, who was a dastardly sinner, like you and me, could find life because of Jesus. As Douglas Milne says, he has been snatched by Jesus from the valley of death and the jaws of hell and placed, my part, and placed in a garden of grace by the goodness of God. And so are we when we cry out to Jesus. So the silence of the New York neighborhoods and the deaths of Kitty and Ebony shocked a nation. People wondered how other people could be so callous. The death of Jesus was also undeserved. But Jesus was not simply ignored. Some turned his noses up at him. Some teased him and hurled blasphemy. A constant torrent of verbal abuse. What they missed was the profound reality that if he in fact had saved himself, every sinner would remain in their sins and, be, and experience the condemnation of God. So to save others, this Jesus had to give himself over to death. Dying, this Jesus is even able to save sinners like that thief upon the cross next to him. And so neither, I say, the apparent lack of gross sins in your life, nor the abundance of gross sins in your life, should keep you from Jesus. All people need to be rescued from the wrath and Jesus is the only one who is able to do that. Let's pray. Father, indeed, we thank you for Jesus. Give us a sense by these words and by the Scriptures and by the work of the Holy Spirit of our position outside of Jesus, 
so that if we are still outside of Jesus, we would cry out to Him for mercy. But that if we are in Christ by faith, uh, that we would have a greater appreciation for what He did for us. We'd have a better understanding of what we were rescued from and what we were rescued to. And so work in us by the Holy Spirit this evening. And the rest of this weekend, as we, as we think about the death and then ultimately the resurrection that comes Sunday morning, we would sing with unfettered joy, with unfettered delight, because our chains have been removed, because our cell has been opened, and we are free, free, free. And we ask this because of Jesus, who came to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Amen.